0: Latest episode of Urban Legends and Mythology. On this episode, we are actually revisiting one of my favorite subjects, the Salem Witch trials. And unlike my last episode, where I mostly just did some generalizations and discussed that late 17th century mindset. This one I'm gonna go more in depth about what actually happened during the trials, try to make it a little more interesting. So without further ado, I'm gonna take a quick sip of this Voodoo Ranger Juice Force IPA. I have it in a tollboy. You can get them for like three bucks now on a tall boy it's really awesome and we're just gonna deep dive right into this and as always we're gonna start right at the beginning and I'm really gonna start with who were these people who were involved in this trial what was their background why did these particular people get caught up in this late 17th century witch hysteria when other settlers in other parts of the New World didn't what makes them so different or special and for that we actually have to start back in England so as we know King Henry VIII he's the first monarch to really throw off the shackles of Catholicism and introduce the Church of England, and this helps kick off the Protestant Reformation. Well, when he did that, there were all these different sects of Protestants now, and what was possibly the most extremist sect were the Puritans. These were people who believed that the Reformations in England weren't going far enough, and that the New Church of England should continue to pull further away from Catholicism and Catholic rites and rituals. Now, the problem for these guys was criticizing the Church of England was illegal, so they had two choices. They could either convert to Anglicanism or they could leave. They could go to the new colonies. And in the 1620s, a lot of these people decided to leave for the New World. And in 1626, a group of these Puritans, they formed this charter to form a viable colony in the New World, and that colony would become what is now the state of Massachusetts. And in that same year, they would establish Salem followed about 10 years later by Salem Village. Now, the thing you have to know about Salem Town and Salem Village was the two settlements were made up of different types of people. Salem Town was mostly made up of merchants and Salem Village was mostly made up of landowners and farmers. So, from the very beginning, these two groups kind of hated each other. Especially in Salem Village, they believed that they were more righteous, more pious. And the two settlements had this reputation for being very, Very quarrelsome, especially with each other. And they would fight over literally anything and everything. Property lines, grazing rights, who had certain church privileges. Literally any kind of drama you can think of. Think of all that petty high school bullshit drama that you had back when you were a kid or living in a small town or whatever. That's exactly what's going on here every day for years. These people would literally fight over everything. But one big thing that they were constantly fighting about was the fact that the only church was in Salem Town, it was much larger settlement, and the teachings of that church were considered a little too soft for these extremist hardcore Puritans of Salem Village. And we have to remember the context here because to these people, religion was everything. Massachusetts was founded by Puritans to basically be a Bible-based society. So when other people would move in who didn't have that same kind of mindset, they were distrusted. They were not liked. They were considered outsiders. And Salem Village itself seemed to have this magnetism for attracting these extreme hardcore religious figures who believed in witches and demons and all this stuff. So what eventually happens is in 1672, the villagers of Salem Village, they vote to hire a minister of their own apart from Salem Town. They want to form their own little church away from Salem Town because they believe that the church in Salem Town just is Isn't preaching what they want to hear and the first guy that they go to hire is a man named James Bailey he lasts from 1673 to 1679 and what happens in 1679 is he's essentially just ousted he's not radical enough he's not extreme enough he's not filled with the hellfire and brimstone and fear that you know you're supposed to instill in your Puritan minds so basically in 1679 they just stop paying his wage and he kind of gets the hint and he moves on. He's replaced in 1680 by a man named George Burroughs who only lasts for three years and the same thing happens. He too is not filled with the passion and the fire and the brimstone and the fear that the Puritans like to hear. So they refuse to pay his wage and he too takes the hint and he leaves. The next one is a man named Diodet Lawson. He stays there from 1684 to 1688. However, Salem refused to ordain him. So in 1689, he is replaced with Samuel Paris, who will come up throughout the rest of our story. Now, Reverend Paris, he was actually kind of hesitant at first because of the fate of the previous ministers, and he actually delays accepting the position because he didn't seem to be able to settle his new parishioners' disputes. And in fact, he would actually make a lot of things worse. He would sow a lot of division and he would have parishioners rat each other out for the smallest infractions in which they'd be publicly punished. Because remember, there is no separation of church and state at this point. If you break a rule of the church, you can be punished in the same manner as if you had broken the law. And it's believed by exacerbating the bickering that was already going on in this small community that it sowed the foundation of what would come to be. Now that's essentially the context of what's going on in Salem Village. You just have this small community of people who are up in everybody else's business and they bicker over every little thing and on top of that they're religious extremists. But in the background there is another factor playing into this and this is this belief in witchcraft which had been going on throughout the last hundred or so years. Now while the infamous witch trials across Europe had really started to fade they were still kind of going on just not in the big grandiose way that you would see in places like germany and you still had people out there who truly believed in witches and that they were instruments of the devil and they could essentially possess people hex people or summon demons or whatever and two of these men who believed in this were actually quite prominent figures they were increase and his son cotton mather now increase mather he was very very influential in early Massachusetts politics he was actually the president of Harvard from 1681 to 1701 he was a Protestant and he was very influential in Massachusetts politics at the time and he really fought for this idea of the consent of the governed in Massachusetts at the time because at the time town meetings were outlawed so the people didn't have a say so he really fought for that and he fought for it from a Protestant point of view. He played a large role in establishing Rue and created an effective legislature in Massachusetts, and he even, through his influence, had William Phipps appointed as royal governor of Massachusetts at the time. And his son Cotton Mather, who was a minister in the Old North Church in Boston, he actually preached there his entire life, he was said to have been one of the most influential and prominent Puritan ministers of his day. And he was a prolific publisher, of pamphlets on all matters of religion but it was his belief in witchcraft which really came out in this book that he writes in 1689 and this book really goes on to reinforce that idea of witchcraft amongst the protestants in and around Massachusetts and this is important because this is a time when witchcraft and witch trials and that belief was really starting to die out in Europe however it still existed here in the colonies and the there are a lot of reasons why it still survives. It's because it's so far removed from the center of the world, Europe at the time, and it's a very isolated group of people living in these small villages, these small towns. And when you're on the fringes of society, you do become a little bit culturally backwards. That's literally just how it works. They're still gripping onto these ideas from the early 17th century, these ideas of witchcraft, which date back as far to the late medieval and has spikes during, for example, the Pendlewitch trials, which I'm planning on doing a future episode about and there were even some witch trials which were going on in the new world as late as the 1640s before this so this idea is still fresh in their mind and now this influential preacher with this book really sensationalizes it and fuels this hysteria which would happen in 1692 now this book is called memorable providences relating to witchcrafts and possessions 1689 and in it matters describes his quote oracular observations and how stupendous witchcraft had affected the children of Boston Mason John Goodwin. So it's essentially his own account of what he perceives to be witchcraft which is taking place here in the new world. So in this book Mather illustrates how Goodwin's eldest child had been tempted by the devil and had stolen linen from the washerwoman Goody Glover. Glover was an Irish Catholic woman and was characterized as disagreeable and old and her husband would call her a witch. So after the theft of this linen, Goody Glover is accused of casting spells on the Goodwin children, and four out of six of the Goodwin children began to have strange fits, or what some people referred to as the disease of astonishment. So the symptoms attributed to this disease quickly became associated with witchcraft. These symptoms included neck and back pains, tongues being drawn from their throats, loud random outcries, having no control over their bodies, and flapping their arms like birds and trying to harm others as well as themselves. Now after this, Glover was arrested and tried for witchcraft. However, under a questioning, it was said that her answers could not be understood. It was as though she was speaking another language, a language associated with the devil. She had apparently lost the ability to speak English. Now at her trial, she was told to recite the Lord's Prayer, and although she was able to recite it in both Irish and in broken Latin, she was unable to say it in English. This fueled this belief that an inability to recite the Lord's prayer was the mark of a witch and then when they searched their house they saw small images and doll-like figures and when Mather was interrogating her she supposedly said that she prayed to a host of spirits and Mather took this to mean that these spirits were demons. Later Mather he goes to visit her in prison and she supposedly tells him that she had engaged in nighttime trysts with the devil and other evil spirits so for a moment there they think maybe she's not of sound mind however sits physicians examine her and they found her all to be mentally competent and upon those findings of her being sound and competent in mind she was found guilty and she was hanged in boston as a witch on november 16 1688 amid mocking shouts from the crowd now there are a few different accounts to exactly what her last words were but it was somewhere in the realm of the children would keep suffering because she was not the only witch to have afflicted them and when asked to name other witches she refused another account Stated that killing her would be useless because it wasn't her who afflicted the kids, it was another witch. However, she did not know who that witch was. She was the last woman to be hanged as a witch in Boston, and it is said that this incident was highly influential in what would come to fuel the Salem witch trials in 1692. So let's jump back to Salem in 1692. So we have this new preacher, Samuel Paris, and he's trying to temper all the squabbling and craziness in this village of hyper-religious small-minded petty individuals, but the thing is, he too is a hyper-religious petty. Petty, small-minded individual who is engaged in some of these quarrels, and he had only made it worse through encouraging his very congregation and snitching on each other for every minor church infraction, which they would be publicly punished for. Because it would turn out that Samuel Paris would directly benefit from from these accusations and from these murders which would be committed during these trials because a lot of the people who were accused of witchery were the same people that Samuel Paris had had conflicts with in the past and with some of the accused being social outcasts it would be the perfect way to get rid of some of these social outcasts. So it all starts in Salem Village in February of 1692 where Betty Paris aged and her cousin abigail williams age 11 who were the daughter and niece of reverend samuel paris began to have fits described as beyond the power of epileptic fits or natural disease to affect it was said that the girls would scream throw things about the room they would utter strange sounds they crawled under furniture and they contorted themselves into peculiar positions and this was corroborated by eyewitness accounts by john hale who was the minister in the nearby town of beverly and reverend deodate lawson who was the former minister in Salem Village who both witnessed this stuff happening. The girls would also complain of being pinched and pricked with pins and being visited by the specters of their tormentors and these outbursts would seemingly happen on cue sometimes even in the Salem meeting house where they did their church preacher stuff. Now initially doctors were brought in but these doctors claimed that they could find no physical evidence of any ailment and that it must be spiritual. Sometimes Later, two other girls, 12 year old Ann Putnam Jr. and Elizabeth Hubbard, would also start to exhibit the same behaviors, with no medical explanation of these behaviors being discovered. This leads the villagers to believe that this is the work of witches. And shortly thereafter, the first three women being accused and arrested of witchcraft. These first three women being Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Samuel Paris's own slave, Tichaba who being the most famous woman to be accused of witchery in this trial, we will discuss first. So, Tichaba was one of the first persons accused to be practicing witchcraft by Elizabeth Paris and Abigail Williams, and it's believed that before all these accusations started, that she used to entertain the girls with stories of witchcraft and voodoo from her native land, which most people believe to be Barbados, or somewhere in and around South America, Central America, the Caribbean, we're not really sure, we do know that she does end up in Barbados because that's where she is inherited by Samuel Paris in and around the 1670s. His family actually owned a plantation on Barbados and in or around 1680 a hurricane actually strikes and he sells this plantation and that's how they end up in Massachusetts. But it's believed that being in these parts of the Caribbean and interacting with other people and other cultures who were also enslaved in these parts of the Caribbean, she picked up on folk tales, and witchcraft and occult teachings throughout her life. So while all this chaos is going on and this gossip is running through the village of Salem, a neighbor of the Paris family named Mary Sibley instructed a man named John Indian, who was the husband of Tituba, to make Tituba make a witch cake made of rye meal and the girl's urine to feed to a dog in order to discover who was bewitching the girls. However, this kind of backfires for Tituba because since she made this witch cake, she has essentially performed witchcraft and it's no surprise when elizabeth paris accuses tituba of being the witch who is bewitching her and later that same day they will go on to accuse sarah osborne and sarah good of bewitching them as well they were two kind of social outcasts in salem town and they were easy target and then on february 29th based on a bunch of formal complaints from people within the village the magistrates actually issue warrants to arrest Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Tituba for afflicting Elizabeth Paris, Abigail Williams, and Putnam Jr. and Elizabeth Hubbard. So shortly after this, they are arrested, they are placed in jail, and they are interrogated. So initially, Tituba denies her involvement in witchcraft. However, she does later confess to making a witch cake. But it should be noted that she confessed to making that witch cake after she was severely beaten by Samuel Paris. We gotta remember that this is the 17th century, and she was a slave and he was interrogating her and he was most likely beating the living snot out of her while performing this interrogation later she also confessed to speaking with the devil and in this confession she stated that he had ordered her to worship him and to hurt the children of the village she was also asked at this time to sign her name in a book that the devil had presented her and in this book she said that she saw the names of Sarah Osborne and Sarah Good as well as sits other names that she couldn't quite Make out. She would later go on to add that her mistress in Barbados was the one who taught her how to ward herself from evil powers, and she revealed the cause of witchcraft. But Titchee's rituals and occult practices weren't meant to be harmful; they were meant to be protective. She asserted once again that she was not a witch. So later on March 7th, Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Tituba were all sent to Boston to await trial. Later, as other women and men from surrounding villages were being accused of witchcraft and arrested, Tichaba not only used these accusations to stir confusion amongst the residents, but she also used them to displace the punishment that was going to be imposed on her. She's basically using this to deflect attention away from her in order to look like a credible witness in an attempt to save her life. It's that old look at what these people are doing over here don't pay attention to me adage. And it was through her confessions that also added some fear and entertainment to this hysteria because she Would talk about black dogs and hogs and a yellow bird and red and black cats and a fox and a wolf. She would give up all this spectral evidence and claim that these were these witches' familiars. And she was so convincing of this that she actually got Salem residents to believe that Satan himself was amongst them. Now most people don't really know why Tituba was the first to be accused. A lot of it believed that it was just race or background based. A lot of it was belief that you know she understood these other religions and these other cultures and she was using these stories as a way to accuse others so there's that whole outsider hypothesis that since she was on the fringe of the society that she would naturally be accused first now me personally i believe that the fact that she was samuel paris's slave had a big part to play in this because i personally believe that samuel paris was using her as his own personal puppet to orchestrate these events And I'll tell you exactly why. First off, simply due to the fact that she is his slave, he could pretty much force her to do whatever he wanted. And Paris actually has motive behind orchestrating this whole thing. Let's remember it's his own daughter and his own niece who are the first two accusers. And furthermore, they are all wrapped up in these petty family rivalries and feuds that are engulfing Salem Village. Along with some of his personal friends, the Putnams, who would become later accusers of other women who were involved in this witch hysteria and the reason why i believe he orchestrates all this and kicks all this off is because he actually has a motive because in november of the previous year the residents of salem have actually stopped paying his wage and they were trying to force him out of salem like they did with so many reverends in the past mostly because he's embroiled in the middle of these petty rivalries and he's just making things worse and with tensions between people of the village being at an all-time high, he had to do something drastic to basically save his job. So he, along with his immediate family and his friends and allies in the village, primarily members of the Putnam family and their friends, engage in a series of legal proceedings which would lead to this witch hunt, and their targets would be the undesirables of the community. And Tichaba is forced to participate in this madness because not only does she sound like a credible witness she can name other names and those other names would be coached to her by Paris and it would start out targeting some of the undesirables and outcasts in the village but then it would soon evolve to include people that the Parises and the Putnam's had personal squabbles with so let's just start with one of the original people who were accused Sarah good now Sarah good a little bit of background on her she was born 1653 and she was actually the daughter of a well-to-do tavern owner now her father also owned a 70 acre estate, which was valued around 500 pounds in salem and was involved in many of the land disputes around salem at the time however he commits suicide in 1669 and the worst part of this is he doesn't leave a will now after her father's death her estate was split up between the widow the new husband of the widow who would later come along the sons and the daughters got very little in fact she got so little that she was forced to sell it off just to pay off some debts and with no dowry and no prospects she ends up basically homeless and she would wander around Salem begging so she eventually develops a reputation for being unpleasant and when Samuel actually gives her lodgings for a time he it was said that she was so turbulent a spirit and spiteful and maliciously bent that they actually threw her out of the house but then again it's no surprise that she would be so willing to Throw off these Puritan customs and norms because she has just had a most tragic life. But this does make her a perfect target for suspected witchery, and it is no surprise that she is amongst one of the first accused. And it's actually on March 25th, 1692, when she was tried for witchcraft. She was accused of rejecting the puritanical expectations of self control and discipline when she chose to torment and scorn the children instead of leading them towards a path of salvation. Now, during this trial, her accused Users actually would start by rocking back and forth and moaning when they noticed her presence. Later, one of the accusers fell into a fit and began screaming on the floor, claiming that Good Specter had just attacked her with a knife, and she actually produced a piece of a broken knife at this time, and this is where it gets funny, because when she produced that piece of broken knife, a townsperson actually stood up and told the court that that piece had broken off his own knife the day before and that the girl had witnessed it. And he actually revealed his half of the broken knife to prove his story. And instead of just throwing this testimony out because it's an outright lie, the judge simply just scolds the girl for exaggerating the truth. Now, Good was allowed the chance to defend herself in front of the jurors, proclaiming Tituba and Osborne to be the real witches and she's just another victim. But this wasn't enough. She was jailed, sentenced to death on July 29, 1692, and was hanged along four other women convicted of witchcraft but her story doesn't end there because her very daughter a girl named dorothy good who was as young as four years old was actually interrogated and jailed with her mother after being accused of witchcraft now her mother had been heavily pregnant while she was in jail and she actually gave birth to an infant who died in jail and dorothy watched this event happen and later she was still in jail when her mother was hanged and they said that these events caused the young girl to go insane and she remained insane for the rest of her life. So the damages from this weren't just local, they were generational. Now prior to and even during the trial, Sarah Good and Tituba had also accused Sarah Osborne of being a witch. Now a little bit about Sarah Osborne, she was also one of these outsider characters in Salem. She was said to have never attended church and she lived kind of a scandalous life, or I guess scandalous according to Puritan terms. So, she had actually married into the Putnam family, who were one of these wealthy, well-to-do families in Salem. However, her husband would later die, and she would actually purchase an indentured servant by the name of Alexander Osborne. Now, once he paid off his indenture, she did something that totally blew away the social norm. She actually marries him. And furthermore, instead of carrying out her late husband's wishes that his 150-acre farm be handed down to his children, he essentially fires the Putnams as executors of her husband's will takes over the property for herself and her new husband and decides to hand it down to his two sons. Now this was seen as an act of radical defiance and it set off many legal proceedings and bickering over this property for years to come. And it's no real surprise that when Betty Paris and Abigail Williams decide to accuse some people of witchcraft she's amongst the first three accused. Now Osborne was interrogated and jailed however she was never tried because she would die in jail of disease on May 29th 1692 but I think at this point we can see a clear pattern of what is going on here you have women who are upsetting the social norms and who are involved in bickering with these accusers who decide hey let's accuse them of witchcraft, and in a community that's already at the boiling point with rage and bickering and infighting, this exacerbates the hysteria, and before we know it, hundreds of people are accused of being witches, and some people become accused of being witches simply for criticizing the trials, which was the case in Giles Corey and his wife. Now, I did discuss Giles Corey and his whole pressing thing back in the season 2 episode that i did on this but since giles corey was such a badass i am gonna reiterate a few things so yes he was accused of witchcraft but it was primarily because he had criticized the proceedings which was going on also he was a prominent landowner in the area and there was this general precedence that any lands and inheritances can be seized from any of these people who were accused of witchcraft now giles corey he was a savvy man he understood the law and he understood that he didn't have to plead either way and uh, if he didn't plead either way they couldn't try him or take his property when he was eventually found guilty so the townsfolk decided well if he's not gonna plea we're just gonna torture him to make him plea one way or the other so they lay him down on a board they lay another board down on top of him and then on that second board they start piling these heavy stones and every few hours for two straight days they would say what do you plead and he would just say more weight which was his way of basically saying fuck you he knew that these trials were madness he knew that it all stemmed from the bickering in the village and he knew that he was essentially in a no-win situation so he went out with defiance not only defying the village of Salem itself but defying the courts and defying the sheriff's department of Salem the guy was a true badass and you know what his curse it did endure but like I said for more about Giles Corey go back and check out that season two episode so while all this madness is going on and up until then it's mostly been civil disputes and stuff however the new governor of massachusetts a guy named Phillips, he comes into power and he establishes this court this like criminal court to look into all these cases of witchery and witchcraft and this court is really the entity which tries most of these cases and administers these death sentences and the whole time this hysteria is still growing in salem Village and around some of the other villages, and it's clear that they're kind of abusing the legal proceedings and the law because one judge actually steps down in protest because he doesn't believe in this spectral evidence garbage. And then even Increase Mather, he comes out denouncing spectral evidence. He says that you can't rely on it alone and that it should be thrown out of the court. But these proceedings don't actually come to a stop until Governor Phillips writes to the Privy Council of King William and Queen Mary stating that that. that he has stopped the proceedings due to what danger some of their innocent subjects might be exposed to if the evidence of the afflicted persons only did prevail, i.e. the spectrum spectral evidence. Basically, parroting what Increase Mather had been saying for the last few months, that you can't rely on spectral evidence alone. However, he only comes to this conclusion after the accusations of witchcraft hit a little too close to his own home, because at some point, Philp's own wife had been accused of witchcraft during this hysteria. So it was at this point, after 125 people had been arrested, 20 people had been executed, and dozens, if not hundreds more, had been accused of witchcraft, he finally dissolves this court, and the trials officially come to an end. Now, these are just a few cherry pick cases from this historical narrative. This thing is so in-depth, I could talk about it for hours and hours, and I'll probably do so in future episodes. There are so many characters 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 and so many squabbles and so much context to pick through that these rabbit holes just go on forever but it seems like every time I return to this research I learn something new I mean for the longest time I always thought it was just hysteria brought on by religious mindsets and possible ergot poisoning All stemming from a kind of medieval point of view. However, when you dig into the actual history and you see all these political squabbles and remember that these people were human just like you and me, you find out that it's a lot more like a high school bitch fest. Some of this stuff was fueled by jealousy, some of this stuff was fueled by greed, some of it was just filled by hatred towards defying the social norms of the day. It just becomes endlessly fascinating and I keep returning to this subject because it is such an interesting... Interesting subject. However, there are a few loose ends in this one that I'd like to tie up. So, Tituba, for example, she is our star witness. She's one of the first accused and she goes on to accuse others. What happens to her? Well, what happens is her master, Reverend Paris, initially refuses to pay her jail fees and she kind of languishes in jail for a while until he eventually laments. And remember, if you're in jail, you have to pay for your own room and board. You don't get to sit in jail for free, so you actually end up in debt in jail. But, since she's a slave and the property of Reverend Paris she can't pay her fees so eventually Paris laments and he sells her for the cost of those jails fees she's sold to an unknown buyer and she actually disappears from the history books we never actually hear from her again Reverend Paris he is actually ousted from Salem society a few years later after squabbling over some fees and debt owed to him he does remain a preacher in and around Massachusetts and he eventually dies several years later. Now, the girls themselves, the ones who kicked this all off and was accusing these people, and who were obviously being coached by the adults who had these domestic squabbles with these other neighbors or whatever, they actually come out saying that they made it all up. And some of them actually issue formal apologies in the Salem meeting house in later years, and they regret their actions because at the time they were children and they didn't understand the ramifications of what they were doing. However, later in life when they realized the ramifications of what they were doing they did feel sincere regret and i guess they just had to live with that guilt and that regret for the rest of their lives now when asked why they did it they gave various answers but to be honest a big reason why they did it was because they were being given attention because basically in a puritan lifestyle the idea of the woman is to basically be seen and not heard to take care of the house and the children and when they were given this bit of attention it must have validated them in some way hell it probably made them feel like rock stars for a little while however despite their moment in the starlight they do go on to kind of fade into historical obscurity and on that note i think that is where i will end it for this episode and as i said i did just cherry pick a few stories from this subject i could do a more in-depth deep dive but i do like to keep these episodes short sometimes I can guarantee that I will revisit this subject in the future and touch on more stories surrounding this subject because every time I return to it, it's even more fascinating than the last time. But as always, this is Mike, and if you did enjoy this episode, all I ask is that you maybe share it with a friend. This show primarily grows via word of mouth, and without you guys, you listeners, providing that word of mouth, this thing would go nowhere. But as always, if you would like to help out the show directly, you can always hit that listener support link in the spotify description that actually helps out a lot you have no idea how much that helps out to be honest you can follow it on the social media stuff or whatever you want it's up to you now i do admit i have been kind of neglecting it for a while i do have a day job and i've kind of been caught up in that stuff but i am planning on focusing more on some of that stuff in the future as well as focusing on my setup here in my studio you may notice that this sounds a little different than it normally does that is because this current studio i am in is in a state of chaos right now and i have a lot of work to do to get that back to some semblance of normalcy but with all that being said i do thank you and i will see you in the next episode